Dao De Jing and Wu Wei. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Melanie Schleter McElmont. Dao De Jing and Wu Wei by Lao Tzu. Translated by Dwight Goddard and Mabel Edith Reynolds. Introduction I love Lao Tzu. That is the reason I offer another interpretive translation and try to print and bind it attractively. I want you to appreciate this wise and kindly old man and come to love him. He was perhaps the first of scholars, 6th century B.C., to have a vision of spiritual reality, and he tried so hard to explain it to others, only in the end to wander away into the great unknown in pathetic discouragement. Everything was against him. His friends misunderstood him. Others made fun of him. Even the written characters which he must use to preserve his thought conspired against him. There were only five thousand in all, and were ill-adapted to express mystical and abstract ideas. When these characters are translated accurately, the translation is necessarily awkward and obscure. Sinologues have unintentionally done him an injustice by their very scholarship. I have tried to peer through the clumsy characters into his heart, and prayed that love for him would make me wise to understand aright. I hate scholarship that would deny his existence, or arrogant erudition that says patronizingly, Oh, yes, there doubtless was someone who wrote some of the characteristic sonnets, but most of them are an accumulation through the centuries of verses that have similar structure, and all have been changed and amended until it is better to call the book a collection of aphorisms. Shame on scholarship when, sharing the visions of the Illuminati, they deride them. There are three great facts in China today that vouch for Lao Tzu. First, the presence of Taoism, which was suggested by his teachings, not founded upon them. This is explained by the inability of the scholars, who immediately followed him, to understand and appreciate the spirituality of his teachings. Second, Confucian dislike for Lao Tzu's ideas, which is explained by their opposition to Confucian ethics. Third, and the greatest fact of all, is the characteristic traits of Chinese nature, namely, passivity, submissiveness, and moral concern, all of which find an adequate cause and source in the teachings of Lao Tzu. An interesting fact in regard to the thought of Lao Tzu is this. Although for two thousand years he has been misunderstood and derided, today the very best scientific and philosophic thought which gathers about what is known as vitalism is in full accord with Lao Tzu's idea of the Tao. Every reference that is made today to a cosmic urge, vital impulse, and creative principle can be said of the Tao. Everything that can be said of Plato's ideas and forms, and of cosmic love as being the creative expression of God, can be said of the Tao. 
when Christian scholars came to translate the Logos of St. John, they were satisfied to use the word Tao. It is true that Lao Tzu's conception of the Tao was limited to a conception of a universal creative principle. He apparently had no conception of personality, which the Christians ascribed to God, in connection with it, but he ascribed so much of wisdom and benevolence to it that his conception fell little short of personality. To Lao Tzu, the Tao is the universal and eternal principle which forms and conditions everything. It is that intangible cosmic influence which harmonizes all things and brings them to fruition. It is the norm and standard of truth and morality. Lao Tzu did more than entertain an intelligent opinion of Tao as a creative principle. He had a devout and religious sentiment towards it. He loved the Tao as a son cherishes and reveres his mother. There are three key words in the thought of Lao Tzu. Tao, De, and Wu Wei. They are all difficult to translate. The simple meaning of Tao is Wei, but it also has a wide variety of other meanings. Dr. Paul Karras translates it Reason, but apologizes for so doing. If forced to offer a translation, we would suggest Creative Principle but much prefer to leave it untranslated. The character Tu is usually translated virtue. This is correct as a mere translation of the character, but is in no sense adequate to the content of the thought in Lao Tzu's mind. To him, Tu meant precisely what is meant in the account of the healing of the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' robe. Quote, Jesus was conscious that virtue had passed from him. To includes the meaning of vitality, of virility, of beauty, and the harmony that we think of as that part of life that is abounding and joyous. The third word is the negative expression wu wei. Translated, this means not acting or non-assertion. When Lao Tzu urges men to Wu Wei, he is not urging them to laziness or asceticism. He means that all men are to cherish that wise humility and diffidence and selflessness which comes from a consciousness that the Tao is infinitely wise and good, and that the part of human wisdom is to hold oneself in such a restrained and receptive manner that the Tao may find one a suitable and conforming channel for its purpose. The title of Lao Tzu's book, Tao De Jing, is carelessly translated The Way of Virtue Classic or The Way and Virtue Classic. This is very inadequate. The vitality of the Tao is very much better. Most commentators think that Lao Tzu's teachings fit in especially well with Buddhist philosophy. This conclusion is arrived at by the common interpretation of Wu Wei as submission 
that will logically end in absorption of the spirit in Tao as Nirvana. This understanding of Wu Wei, which Henry Borel shares in a measure, is, we believe, incorrect, inasmuch as Lao Tzu consistently teaches a finding of life rather than a losing of it. Lao Tzu's conception of Tao is the underived source of all things, finding expression through spiritual Tu in universal creative activity is very close to Plato's doctrine of the good as the one ineffable source of all things, whose ideas and forms of goodness, truth and beauty radiated outward as spiritual logi in creative activity through spirit, soul and nature to the farthest confines of matter. While it is true that Lao Tzu's teachings would find little in common with the Old Testament anthropomorphic autocracy, and would find almost nothing in common with the modern Richlian system of ethical idealism, which has for its basis a naturalistic evolution of human society by means of philanthropy, laws, cultural civilizations, and human governments backed by force of arms. Nevertheless, his teachings are entirely in harmony with that Christian philosophy of the Logos, which is a heritage from the Greeks through Plato, Philo, St. Paul, Plotinus, and Augustine, and which is the basis of the mystical faith of the Christian saints of all ages. While Lao Tzu would find little in common with the busy, impertinent activities of so-called Christian statesmen building by statecraft and war, he would find much in common with apostolic Christianity, which held itself aloof from current politics and refused to enter the army, content to live simply, quietly, full of faith and humble benevolence. And most of all, he would find himself in sympathy with the teacher of Nazareth. At almost every sonnet, one thinks of some corresponding expression of Jesus, who had a very similar conception of God, but who recognized in him that personal element of love, which made God not only creative principle, but heavenly father. Lao Tzu's vision of the virile harmony goodness and spirituality of the Tao was what Jesus saw as the fatherhood of God, self-expressing his love nature endlessly in all creative effort and, through universal intuition, endlessly drawing his creation back to himself in grateful and humble affection. Lao Tzu saw in a glass darkly what Jesus saw face to face in all his glory, the divine Tao, God as creative and redemptive love. As you read these verses, forget the words and phrases, poor material and poor workmanship at best, look through them for the soul of Lao Tzu. It is there revealed, but so imperfectly that it is only an apparition of a soul. 
But if by it, vague as it is, you come to love Lao Tzu, you will catch beyond him fleeting glimpses of the splendid visions that so possessed his soul, visions of infinite goodness, humility and beauty, radiating from the heart of creation. Dwight Goddard All we know about Lao Tzu Tse Ma Chien, 136-185 B.C., wrote that Lao Tzu was born of the Li family of Chu Jin village, Li County, Ku Province, Chu State. His proper name was Er. His official name was Po Yang. His posthumous title was Wei Tan. He held the position of custodian of the secret archives of the state of Chu. Confucius went to Chu to consult Lao Tzu about certain ceremonials. Lao Tzu told him, The bones of these sages, concerning whom you inquire, have long since decayed. Only their teachings remain. If a superior man is understood by his age, he rises to honor. But not being understood, his name is like a vagrant seed blown about by the wind. I have heard it said that a good merchant conceals his treasures, as though his warehouses were empty. The sage of highest worth assumes a countenance and outward mien as though he were stupid. Put aside your haughty airs, your many needs, affected robes, and exaggerated importance. These add no real value to your person. That is my advice to you, and it is all I have to offer. Confucius departed, and when he later described to his students his visit to Lao Tzu, he said, I understand about the habits of birds, how they can fly, how fish can swim, and animals run. For the running we can make snares, for the swimming we can make nets, for the flying we can make arrows, but for the dragon I cannot know how he ascends on the winds and clouds to heaven. I have just seen Lao Tzu. Can it be said he is as difficult to understand as the dragon? He teaches the vitality of Tao. His doctrine appears to lead one to aspire after self-effacement and obscurity. Lao Tzu lived in Chu for a long time. He prophesied the decay of that state, and in consequence was obliged to depart, and went to the frontier. The officer at the border post was Yin He, who said to Lao Tzu, If you are going to leave us, Will you not write a book by which we may remember you? Thereupon Lao Tzu wrote a book of sonnets in two parts, comprising in all about five thousand characters. In this book he discussed his conception of the vitality of the Tao. He left this book with the soldier and departed. No one knows whither. End of Introduction